Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode talking about Batman Forever. Not a screen movie, not a horror movie with my friend Mike. I know it's kind of a shocker, but I... I will say we will be back with that series very soon, coming next month. But there, I also talk about other things on the show, not just horror movies. As you can tell from the title, we'll talk about Batman Forever, which came out in 1995. I have two guests with me who will go down the rabbit hole and see if there is gems in this movie or if it is the movie that everybody thinks it is and it should be written off and never be thought of again. Now, our first guest, he's the first time being on this show, Mr. Philip Barker. How are you doing, Philip? Oh, I'm great, Tim. I appreciate you having me on the show today. I'm really excited to talk about Batman Forever. All right, very nice. And our other one is a returning guest, and talking about Batman, of course, when it comes to this show, and he's done. He's spoken about Batman everywhere he goes. Mr. Brendan Lowe, how are you doing, Brendan? How are we, gentlemen? Yes. Uh, a peek behind the curtain, everybody. This is the second time we're trying this right now because uh, uh, the Skype recorder was being a little bit of a dick and decided to be messed up on us and everything, and so we had to do this a second time. Luckily, we didn't get that far into it, and it was just like, it, it could have been bad. It could have been like 40 minutes in, and then I realized, oh, wait, there's something wrong, and that would have been really shitty. So I'm going to so, say glad props we... Props to Tim for catching that one. Yeah, but I should, I should have caught it beforehand. Anyway, we're talking so about that. you get for recording with a redhead, what can I say? Yo, hey. son. Well, you know what? <laughs> to be fair, if not for all the behind-the-scenes turmoil of Batman Forever, that movie wouldn't be what it is today. So there's that, too. That's true. <laughs> that, that, that's, that is grasping a straws of silver lining there, sir. But you know what? I'll take it right now. <laughs> we're talking about Batman Forever, so let's jump into our review of it right now. <laughs> Okay, uh, Phil, what about you? We'll go about with your history with the movie. What was your first uh, time seeing this movie? This is the first Batman movie I remember seeing in a movie theater. And I will never forget the part where Batman goes to Chase Meridian's house. And we see no- we see Nicole Kidman in nothing but, you know, the, <laughs> the, 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 um, the bed sheet. And I look over at my dad, and he's wide-eyed. I look over at my mom. And she's looking at my dad and giving him that, you know, that look. And I'm just looking at the movie going, okay, all right, well, um... This is happening. This is happening. <laughs> I, I, I now understand. <laughs> um, oh, jeez. Yeah, um, so w- when that movie came out and I bought... I, I, oh, man, there's actually another funny story. At I used to watch this movie repeatedly when I was a little kid growing up after it came out. So my mom would take me to the video store every other week and ah, I feel so bad about this I see a kid holding Batman Forever like on VHS I kind of walk up to him I go hey that's mine and he goes no I'm renting it out my mom's buying it for me and I kind of I kind of backhanded the kid a little bit six year old me I had had not known better 
And my mom runs over to me and smacks me sideways and, you know, gives the kid back the movie. And I just pick up Batman Mask of the Phantasm and go about my merry way. (laughs) (laughs) I think you I think that it was for the best in the end. Yeah, some people would say that's a trade up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just I just hope. When you backhanded that kid, you like you saw Pow appear in in the air above you and everything like that. That was just like it was a Batman sixty six moment that you saw a impact sound effect an onomatopoeia right above you there. I'm wham. just more curious if you balled up your fist, you reached way back and assumed yourself. <laughs> I might have. I very well might have. You know, when you're six years old, you 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 don't know any better, and someone has your favorite movie in their hand. And it's like a ritual for you. Yeah. Let's just say I've I've learned to control my anger now. I am not that person anymore. <laughs> well, that was interesting. <laughs> All right. Um, what about you, Brendan? Your history with Batman Forever. Well, mine doesn't involve physical assault, so there's that. <laughs> um, well, all right. Well, it's going to be a lame story. I should have gone to you first. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, look, if anyone's listened to me on podcasts before where this movie's come up, like, I'm probably going to be repeating myself a little bit, so I do apologize, but it, you know, it's the truth. Like, I was, I was 11 when this movie came out. It was the first Batman movie I saw on the big screen. Um, I became a Batman fan in 1989 when I was five. Um, I was too young to see that movie on the big screen at the time. Um, when Batman Returns came around, I was all fired up and ready to go see that, but then, one of my mum's friends took her kids and reported back to my mum that, you know, that the movie was what it was. So I didn't go and see that one either. Um, by the time Batman Forever hit, there was no way I wasn't going to see that movie. And, you know, for better or for worse, depending on how you feel about this movie, the changes were made and they made it more, you know, kid friendly, I guess, um, you know, in inverted commas for it. And, I was I was the absolute right demographic for that movie in 1995 when it came out. Um, I can look at it now and and see the flaws and know that it's not the greatest movie, you know. But but the thing is that movie will always be the movie of my childhood. Like that movie meant the world to me as a kid, and despite its flaws, I I just look on it so fondly. Um, you know, I saw it on the big screen last weekend for the first time in 24 years. And I, I just loved it. I, I do. I love this movie, warts and all. You know, it, it's just a really special movie for me. Nice. I'm surprised you didn't attack that woman for talking bad about Batman Returns. I mean, since uh, violence on people coming out of Batman movies seems to be a theme here, I would I was almost expecting that story ending that way. oh i was pissed i was very pissed because the thing is we were meant to go and see because i mean you need to remember too particularly um in the early 90s movies were released you know six or seven months over here later than the rest of you know particularly america um sometimes it was around the same time but other times it was later um so beauty and the beast which came out i think like december 91 for you guys over there we didn't get it till june 92 um so it was out in cinemas the same time as Batman Returns was here in Australia. And, uh, yeah, instead of going to see Batman Returns, I went and saw Beauty and the Beast. Um, yeah, <laughs> not that, that you know, I don't have anything against Beauty, against Beauty and the Beast, but when I was an eight-year-old Batman fan, 
you know, surrounded by Batman toys and Happy Meals and everything else, I sure as shit wanted to see that movie and not Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> but then there's people out in the world say you traded up seeing Beauty and the Beast over exactly, Batman yeah. Returns. There are people who would say that, yes. <laughs> um, very nice. Uh, myself, I didn't see any of the first four Batman movies in theaters. I was... Um, I, I guess I was old enough at that point to at least ask to see Batman and Robin, and maybe, maybe I did. And my mom just saw the reviews of it and just thought it was, for the, in the best judgment, not to go see that in theaters. Who knows? But I remember having all four VHSs um, in pretty heavy rotation, and I do realize that I watched the first Batman the most. I mean, of those first four, I enjoy the first Batman and Batman 89 the most. I mean, I think that's a kind of safe assumption. I think all all three of us think that Batman 89 is probably the best out of these first four. It's it's the best, but Batman Forever is my favorite. I think it's the best in, in the sense of being made, but personally, I, I leaned a little bit more towards Batman Forever. I mean, uh, Batman Returns. Huh. And we're all, when we mean best, we're talking subjectively before we get before we get somebody uh, hassling us over objective and subjective right there. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> right. Uh, but, you know, Forever does kind of hold a place in my heart. But I think subjectively speaking, Returns is the better movie. <clears throat> best movie, I should say. Hmm. Lots well, of conversation for another day because I, I do want to get into that. But mm-hmm. um, I remember I had watched... Uh, Batman Forever more than Batman Returns. Of those VHSs, I do remember watching Batman Forever more than Returns because as a little kid, I I had more fun watching it. I mean, it has more action than Batman Returns. And, and the Penguin's very gooey and he's creepy, intentionally so. So I, I, I think it's why as a child I leaned more on Batman Forever. And I know some people but that's say... But that's by design. Like, the yeah. fact that you said, as a kid, I had more fun watching Batman Forever, that was the point. <laughs> oh, totally. That, yeah, that's and, true. I mean, hell, I uh, before we got on recording, I watched at least 15 minutes worth of commercials for all the Batman Forever merchandise that was tied in here. I mean, <laughs> there was the all the action figures, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think I had any of the action figures, but I did have a bunch of other stuff, including... I had some of the die-cast um, vehicles that were associated with it. Like, there was the Batwing that was uh, a little, like, maybe, I guess, two-inch uh, long Batman uh, little toy, which I remember uh, I lost it at one point, and I had this huge toy box, and I found it accidentally because I just, like, shoved my hand down deep and just find something else, and I found the edge of, like, the bat, the spin of that. And I'm like, hmm, and I was a little Spear kid. Like, through your hand. It, it didn't go that far, but it did It did draw a little bit of blood. And I'm like, of course, Batman drawing my own blood. And there was a little, like, a uh, Riddler mobile, and then there was the Two-Face little truck that he chases the Batmobile in. I remember having that. And nice. um, they came in like a, like a four-pack, didn't they? They came individually so. and as a four uh, and a five-pack, actually. I'm looking at a picture right now because a five-pack also had the um, the Batboat and the Batmobile. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had the five-pack. <sighs> I so wonder I how... Had... Go on. I, I actually... Sorry, Tim, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I don't, I don't remember if it was Mattel or Kenner that I had, but I had the the Batmobile that also turned into the Batwing and the Batboat. It was this like three separate piece 
mechanical toy that turned into all three at once and it was like it was it was phenomenal but um i had a multitude of of these batman toys specifically from batman forever you know i used to have two face i used to have one from two face riddler it was specifically like jim carrey in his white and green riddler outfit but you know tom tommy lee jones was in his outfit from the movie i it, yeah, I remember. I remember those toys. <laughs> um, it was Kenner. I'm looking at it right now where it's like a three-in-one yep. thing. Um, and, and I know it is a common joke about these two movies, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. It becomes a very toyetic, especially Batman and Robin. Um, yep. But I, for some reason, I really enjoy the merchandise of Batman Forever because I remember also I had the Tiger handheld uh, video game because – Had that. <laughs> And that, that's before I had a Game Boy, so that, like that, and I had like another one. I think it was like a Tiger, like a football one. Like those, like the only handheld games I had for a long time. Yep. And I had for Super Nintendo the Batman Forever like side scroller game, which is like kind of based on. I think it was, it was made by I think Acclaim, but it's very mm-hmm. much like how Mortal Kombat was set up, where like you'd have a life bar for all the goons, and you would try and get over these like use gadgets yep. to get over little. Um, Holes in the floor and everything, and it was. I had it on. I had it on the Sega. Yep, so oh, did I. Really? Yep, yeah. I had it on Sega Genesis, huh. and I also had it on Game Boy, the original Game Boy. Well, I have two Sega people here, and I have Super Nintendo, so I'm gonna get my brass knuckles ready because it's gonna have to go <laughs> down. Um, but it's pretty. Um, dude, you won the war, so don't worry. <laughs> that's true, but also, like, if you want, if here's a little bit of irony. I remember I sold my Super Nintendo to get money to buy my PlayStation One, and I remember I sold my Super Nintendo, the controllers, and all my games. I'm holding the cash in my hand to buy the PS One, and I immediately, as like a, I guess like an eight or nine year old, I realized I had made a huge mistake. <laughs> and, and i'm a huge sony person like i, I i've had off all the playstations uh, up until this point here and everything but there was just something like super nintendo is still my favorite system of all time uh so it was like i had like a moment of crisis like oh so i guess this is what adults is like making decisions um yep <laughs> and going back to being adult and child um i meant to say this earlier but uh Phil, you shouldn't feel too bad about being a six-year-old attacking somebody because, according to legally, a seven-year-old is supposed to know when what's right and wrong. So, being six, you're just under the precipice of knowing what's right and wrong, especially attacking uh, other children in video stores. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Go home and sleep soundly tonight. I shall. Oh, I shall. And then there was so uh, true, and so you shall. Nothing <laughs> better than live bait to trap a bat. Oh Jesus! Um, and then there was also I had um a p- picture book. It was kind of like a summary of Batman Forever by Golden Books, and it had some like it was pretty much like a like an abbreviated version of Batman Forever. And on the cover, it was. The, it was Batman and Robin in their kind of like third act outfits, and it looked like they're standing in front of an explosion, like Batman Forever from the hit movie. I know that, but my little brother had that book. <laughs> and, and I remember it specifically because it had photos of like scenes or like angles we never saw from the movie. Yes. And like this, this is a, uh, it, like it had ra- uh, rabbit hole trying to find this thing earlier this evening, and I'm just like, oh my god, I remember this. And apparently, you could find it for like new for like. Five dollars uh, for third-party seller if you really wanted everybody, but um, yeah. Did was... anyone have the the McDonald's glasses? I still have my Riddler oh. glass in my, right now. I still have all four. <laughs> I did at one point. I don't know what happened to them. 
I'm not drinking out of it right now. This is a fail on my part right here. Damn it. It's funny. We we could do a whole podcast just on the merchandise from this movie. <laughs> What's the whole reason the movie was made in 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 the basic term, you know, it when when Batman Returns came out and it, you know, kind of didn't leave a good taste in public general public general public public's eye. There we go. It it was kind of precedent for Warner Brothers to look at Batman and be like, "Okay, it's time to change things up a little bit." And they kind of did. So they, so it would reflect their toy sales because that that was the whole point of them making a movie just to sell McDonald's toys at least uh, as far as I remember. Yeah, I, I mean there was, according to sources, that there was a warning from McDonald's to Warner Brothers like if you're gonna make another one of these, uh, we're gonna have to cease our agreement of doing ad campaigns with you and. Um, things like that is a big part of the budget and that like you need that kind of money coming in because where producers get the money to make these movies is they go to Wall Street and they find investors to invest $100 million to whatever amount of dollars to make these movies and they make it back with like product placement and selling foreign sales before the, even the box office is even like a, a thing. And so having the... A big um, component of the things to be with the making up your budget, saying giving you a warning like, "Hey, you got to change things up." Not to mention the <laughs> the actual general public being a little sour to Batman Returns. It makes sense why Warner Brothers um, changed their tune. Now, do you think that was the right decision for Warner Brothers to do that and to move away from Tim Burton's ideas of what they want to do with Batman? Ah, uh, that's a good question. You know, I think that them kind of going away from the darker and grittier stuff that Tim Burton did with Batman and then kind of moving into the Schumacher territory where it's a little more reminiscent of say something like Adam West or super friends. It, I could see why it makes sense, but at the same time, it's still going to, you know, kind of revert Batman back in, at least from the public sense, it's going to revert him back into kind of a joke to, to more or less a degree. But, um, as far as the movie goes, I think the problem, problem being the quote here, lies perfectly on execution. If you look at this movie on paper, like, you know, Batman and Robin teaming up to take out Riddler and Two-Face, that's a really good idea for a movie. The problem was you have a director who clashed with Val Kilmer, and then you also had the clash between Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones on set. But at the same time, like watching the movie... If Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones weren't constantly trying to one-up each other, their performances in that movie wouldn't reflect as such, and I, I feel like it makes the performances a little stronger because of it. Same thing, Kind of the same thing with, you know, Val Kilmer as Batman. Um, him kinda, who, I, who I always liked. I always liked Kilmer as Batman. I did, too. I mean, you know, take or leave the nipples, whatever. He looked good in the suit, and he pulled off Batman pretty well, and he was a great Bruce Wayne. Yeah! Oh, because yeah, that, no, I, uh, go on. No, I was going to say I totally agree. Uh, and because I feel like at that point, at that in Val Kim's career, he kind of was like Bruce Wayne, that he was this kind of rich person, and like because he was very successful based off like movies starting from like going from Willow onward through Tombstone, that he become a huge star and everything. But it, it is a thing that it's reported that. Val Kilmer and Joe Schumacher didn't get on, get along at all. I mean, that 
that he, Joel Schumacher said that he was that Falcon was very childish and they didn't speak to each other for at least two weeks and their the press tour afterwards was very intense and I think it's a reason why he was kind of quietly replaced when it came to doing Batman and Robin. Makes a lot of which, sense. Which, you know, he dodged a bullet there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it's just the, with Batman and Robin, it's just the charisma and talent of George Clooney that he was able to ascend beyond that kind of albatross of uh, Batman and Robin. Yeah. Um, but let's get into the movie, like, itself. I mean, like, Upon recent like viewings, um, has your opinions really changed since you were a kid? It's it's hard. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. So, <laughs> so I mean, I like I said before, like you know, when I first we first started talking about it, like I can look at it now as a thirty-five-year-old. Like again, I saw it in the big screen on on last Saturday, less than a week ago, and like there are some parts in this movie that have that are pretty dodgy, you know, like Tommy Lee Jones is not two face in, I mean, he's two face in name only and, and look, but like his performance is not that of the two face of the comics and, and the way it should be like, he's just a giggling idiot through the whole film, <laughs> essentially like he is, you know, for better or for worse, but I, I don't know. Like every time I watch this movie, I just feel, I remember what it was like, you know, the excitement of seeing this on the big screen, you know, as an 11 year old that I'll never forget that feeling of, you know, when the Warner brothers logo comes up and the screen goes black and then it morphs into the bat signal. Like as an 11 year old kid, when that happened, it was just like, Holy shit. Like for me, I mean, I'm not a star Wars guy, but for me, I can only imagine that's what it felt like, you know, seeing the scrolling words and stuff, from you know people in the 70s and 80s when they were experiencing that for the first time on the big screen like when that happened i was just like oh my god this is just this is so different and i don't know i i have all the memories come back of of getting the mcdonald's glasses and and watching you know the making you know riddle me this wise batman forever and recording that off tv and 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 listening to the soundtrack like all of it comes back to me and it just makes me feel happy. So it, it's hard to to separate those two things um, of, you know, watching it now objectively and not having those feelings because I can't do it. Like, I can't separate the two. Like, like I said, I know I can watch it now and, and go, you know, yes, this isn't great, but I don't care <laughs> because all those those nostalgic feelings just come flooding back to me. And it's like I said, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Like I always enjoy watching this movie. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel young again. And yeah, I, I, you know, for those reasons, that's why I love it so much. I think for me, it, it kind of boils down to again, you know, performances um, much like Brennan said, I, I kind of agree that Tommy Lee Jones plays it much like an incompetent idiot half the time. But I, I, get, I, I think there are little sprinkles of, of decency in his performance. Like right, right from the get-go when Batman goes into the, into the tower and rides up the, the elevator and Two-Face sends his goons after him and then he goes, BLAST HIM! Like that's that's where it changes. The... Yeah, that's exactly where it changes. And it never looks back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until like the end when he presents him the coin at the very end. It's like his opening little monologue about chance and then when he says like, oh, like, 
Bruce, you've always been a good friend. Like, those are the only two tr- true Harvey Dent moments there. Yeah, it's bookended. <laughs> <laughs> it's very bookended. Oh, well, you know, there's also the scene when Riddler breaks into Harvey's uh, penthouse, hideout, whatever you want to call it, and Harvey just kind of subtly tells him, you know, you broke into our hideout, I should blow your head off. That, to me, it's a little, you know, it's Two-Face being Two-Face, but it's it's about as Two-Face as Tommy Lee Jones will get. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, I, I'm sure there's somebody out there saying, like, did that qualities compare Batman Forever to Star Wars? And angrily, <laughs> angrily type. Yeah, you, you know what I mean, though. Oh, I know, I know, I yeah. know. But I'm sure there's somebody who's just that irate enough. I mean, it, it, it's the old adage. I'm not the, comparing the films. I'm comparing the feeling. Gotcha. So before anyone, before anyone writes in, <laughs> it, it, it's a thing. Like, don't read the comments. And like, uh, <laughs> I, I am foolish enough. To, like, I have to read the comments and sometimes on my videos. I mean, like, I, I resp- like I tweeted out something. Somebody. Wrote a shitty thing about one of my shorts today, and I'm just—I was kind of baffled by that. But that was my mistake in doing that. But because I got a chance, I got um, when Fathom Events here in the states did all four movies. Um, I took actually a few days off of like my second job in order for to be able to go to all of these. Yes, I took time off of work to see all four of these movies. And I know some people are probably saying why. And because I saw three I saw three of the four. I'll leave it up to the listeners to guess which one I didn't see. <laughs> I'm sure that's a real one. hard guess there. Um, I only saw one. <laughs> hey, but you saw the one you think is the best in the series. You saw Batman Returns. This is just this is true. I did. I got to see my favorite one on the big screen. I was really happy to see that. Which is fantastic, and I. But you know what? You know what? You're the real champ. You saw all four of them. You are the real champion, man. Well, because the way I justify it to myself is that, like, I don't know when I'll get a chance to see all four of these on the big screen again. Mm -hmm. Like maybe when he Batman turns a hundred. Who knows? But I was like, that's how I justified it. I was like, you know what? What am I really gonna remember? The the few dollars I made those shifts that I worked. Or seeing all four of those movies in theaters. Yeah, I was just saying, like, Batman 89 was the only of the original four movies that I hadn't seen on the big screen because I got to see Batman Returns a couple of years ago um, as a, a retro Christmas movie that one of the cinemas did here. So I was I was thrilled that, that, they, that they did show these movies over here because we don't normally get that sort of stuff. Um, so now I can officially say that I've seen all those, you know, from 89 onwards, I've seen all of them on the big screen. So I was wrapped. Awesome. And I did make a video talking about my experience all four of them, and I will talk more about that in the future when that comes out. Um, but with this movie opens up and we see, literally see Batman suit up and go on an adventure here, and it's from the jump. Like, yes, we have the one joke, like, I'll get drive through because, haha, what McDonald's tie in. But <laughs> I like this opening set piece. Of him trying to go after the two phase and the the fist fight and the helicopter uh, chase and everything, I find this to be a lot of fun. And, 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 and I know it seems like I'm just trying to kick kick uh, Batman Returns to the curb, but this has more action in it than most of Batman Returns in the first like set piece. Oh, I don't deny that one bit at all. Um, actually, one of my favorite scenes is when Batman is in the helicopter and he just. 
pokes his head through the glass with his, you know, with his ears, and he looks up and says, "You need help, Harvey. Give it up." It's 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 hands down like one of the best best sequences in the movie, and Val Kilmer just totally nails it right there as Batman, in my opinion. It's man, I love that shot. I love the sequence. I love the way it's done. I I, I do enjoy that sequence as much as you do, and I will agree that that mo- this this movie has a lot more action in it than Batman Returns, deservedly so. Yeah, like you said that this movie I opened with action, like that was by design as well because, I mean, I know you guys would know because you're fans of the movie like I am, but like that's not how this movie was supposed to open. Um, like even the novelization of Movie Magazine had different openings. It was meant to open with um, the showing Two-Face had escaped from Arkham, which mm-hmm. is in the deleted scenes on the DVD and stuff. Then it was meant to go to Bruce Wayne visiting Wayne Enterprises um, and when he sees the bat signal, that was meant to be then him going to to the Two Face, you know, at the bank. That's what the original run of the movie was. But I, you know, I guess that's, you know, I mean, yes, we get to see Batman relatively early in the two Burton movies, but you still have to wait a bit. Whereas this one, the fact that it opens with Batman like right there, straight out of the gate. Again, as an eleven year old, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like <laughs> like Batman's being Batman straight away. Like I you know, I loved it. And it, it you know, just quickly so I don't forget later, like the just mentioning the um the Wayne Enterprises scene. I remember as an eleven year old after the you know the action scene and, and Batman coming out of the water doing the big <gasps> you know over the top <laughs> breath. Um and how it cuts to that scene at Wayne Enterprises the the sort of that you know really bad cg going by today's standards shot of the you know like them sort of coming into Wayne Enterprises and you can hear the the voiceover of the you know the news reporter um that's where i was just kind of like shit this is actually this is the batman that i know from the like from the comics and and more so batman the animated series because it was well for a start they mentioned Wayne Enterprises which never comes up in the the Burton movies and you know it just I was like, man, this is actually, this is more the Batman I know. I, I felt more like, oh, this is like one of the cartoons. It, it just, you know, it just had that feeling. Again, for better or for worse, depending on what people thought and how they feel about this movie. But again, as a kid, I was just like, oh, this is awesome. Like, this this feels comfortable to me. I think by design, it was meant to be kind of like a, a bigger episode of a big live action episode of, say, something like the 66 show with a blend of Super Friends or maybe even Batman the Animated Series to a bit of an extent but uh yeah. like you said yeah you know it's 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 it by design it's meant to be that way so it's targeted at kid kids your age back when that movie came out you know i was three at the time you were 11 it was definitely geared towards kids your age for sure yeah and i've always said and again i'm repeating myself from other shows but i was totally the target demographic for this movie when it came out and that's why you know, someone like Andy, who's just that, you know, those few years older than me, he doesn't like this movie. And and I totally get why. Like, you know, we've had some heated discussions about it in the past, but like, I do, I get why. But for me, I was just totally in that sweet spot when it came out where it worked for me on every level, you know, because as 11 year old kid, you don't, you don't necessarily see the flaws and things like that. And a lot of people who might be listening to this who are a bit younger don't realize too, like, this movie was a big hit when it came out. Like it was well received when it came out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, at the time it had the biggest opening weekend of all time. Like it was by no means people, the course of history tend to sort of 
this and Batman and Robin sort of get pushed into one memory. But this movie was really successful. There's a reason why the sequel came out so quickly, because this movie was a big hit. People loved it. Oh, totally. And and I do think there's part of the animated series in here. I mean, there are like a lot of classic cars and there's that one scene where he where Bruce Wayne shows up to um, GCPD, I guess, early in the or early in the afternoon. And there's a lot of like 60s cars driving around. So it's like cars out of time with all the other technology going around, which is kind of the precedent of what the uh, animated series was built on. And funny enough, speaking of like locations, um, the exterior to Wayne Manor in these two films is actually out here on Long Island. It's about 40 minutes away from me in Glen Cove. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. And I have I've no been, idea. And I've been meaning to go out there and visit it because it's not also not that far away from the mansion that's in North by Northwest because that's also in Glen Cove. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I, I've been wow. meaning like one day like to go out like, all right, just make a day out of that and go visit those two places because like, hey, those are movie history. One, accepted as a, as a cinematic ma- uh, masterpiece in North by Northwest and then there's Batman Forever. I was going to say in the other ones, North by Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, even I, as much as a jokester as I am, I cannot say that with a straight face. I mean, it, it'll, it'll be like a Jimmy Fallon SNL sketch right there. I know, I know. Um, that was glorious. <laughs> And oh, but like we gotta talk about Nicole Kidman as Chase Meridian because like she it's the first Tom Cruise one being a Batman movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> not the last. So that's for sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's I, I kind of want Penelope Cruz to be cast in Matt Reeves' Batman, so we could say yes, <laughs> three of Tom Cruise's wives have been in Batman movies, but she is hot for trot for Batman. Frame one when they're in when when they're in the same scene together. It is like, and it was so jarring. Which is fine because I was hot to trot for her from the first scene she was in in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, mean, I mean that's just, I think it's just the power of Nicole Kidman. I, we think that she's a wonderful actress and just a very beautiful woman. I mean, I just watched. The and first... this is an eleven-year-old too. I remember thinking like, oh my god, there's an Australian in this movie. Like that blew my mind as well. Mm. Before Australians and English people took over the American yes. film industry, but let's leave that. We'll leave that how it is. Um, there was a moment in the first Paddington movie that which I just watched where Peter Capaldi comes face to face with uh, Nicole Kidman for the first time, and Lionel Richie's um, "Hello" starts playing as soon as he sees her, and I'm like, "Yeah, I get that. That's probably my reaction every time I the first time I saw Nicole Kidman too." So I kind of get it. Yep. Three-year-old me has had a crush on Nicole Kidman ever since three-year-old me could have a crush. So, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and so, uh, you like as you said on Twitter, you've watched Aquaman a lot recently. Is it because of Nicole Kidman? She might have something to do with it. I, I, I will not confirm nor deny that, but she might have something to do with it. And, yeah, I've been watching Aquaman lately. It's, it's slowly but surely probably becoming my favorite DC Extended Universe movie now. Yeah. <laughs> Just want to be sure, and <laughs> and I, I like the I like the, the the it's cool to see, I guess the limitations of like the Burton costume like and the same kind of things have the same limitation that happens with all the bat suits up until the Dark Knight is that they're very bulky and you can't really mm-hmm. turn their head, but seeing Val Kilmer's Batman go toe to toe with a 
uh, Two Faces goons here. I almost said Joker's goons. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that might have been a Freudian slip there. <laughs> not too far off. <laughs> no, yeah, it's not. not. Uh, but I always find hilarious is when he zaps the one dude and it sounds like he's like making motorboat sound effects when he's like, being electrified here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, and he, he falls on his other dude and then both of them start doing it. And like, it, it is one of the defining things I hear when I think about when this movie, it's that. But then we're introduced to Edward Nigra played by Jim Carrey. And of course there was the rumors that Robin Williams is going to play the Riddler at one point, which I would have loved to see. But it is fun to see Jim Carrey at the height of his Jim Carrey ness in well, this that's movie. The thing. This this movie this movie is is nineteen ninety five to a T. Oh yeah. Like Not and, and that. you know, that that's part of the reason why it was such a big hit. Like everyone in this movie I mean I, I Chris O'Donnell had had the big hit with was it Circle of Friends? I mean I didn't know who Chris O'Donnell was in ninety five um, before. Sent this. of a woman no a few idea. years prior. Sent of a woman, yeah. Uh, you know, and Val Kilmer coming off the back of Tombstone, like this movie was was huge in terms of its cast. Um, yeah, it's it's if you need to sum up 1995, it's it's the cast of this movie. If it's not this cast, it's the soundtrack. That's for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Which we'll get into later on. But like, I, I'll ask you uh, then, Brendan, your feelings on Jim Carrey's portrayal of Edward Nigma, the Riddler, in this. Uh, 11-year-old me loved it. <laughs> um, I mean, look, I still, I still enjoy it. Um, I mean, I'm still laughing at, at some of the stuff. I, I, know, I know this movie line for line, I'll be honest. Like, but I was still laughing at stuff in the cinema the other day. Like, is Jim Carrey at the peak of his powers? Like, yes, it, it's a little, not wanting to parrot, you know, use the line from the movie, but yeah, it's over the top at some times. Like, it, it really is. But, I, c- I couldn't tell. Yeah, right? <laughs> but the well, 11 year old me couldn't tell. Like, there's still something that's fun about watching Jim Carrey be Jim Carrey at the height of him being Jim Carrey. Like, you know, it's, for me, it's fine. Like, I would like to see a, a darker, more sinister version of the Riddler. But we were never going to get that in 1995. We were never going to get it coming off the back of Batman Returns in 1995. And if you were going to have a Riddler in a movie in 1995, Jim Carrey's perfect. And, you know, I, I, I can enjoy it for what it is. It's it's a like a lot of things with the Schumacher movies, it's a 90s version of the 60s version. So, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I, I do. What about you, Philip? Edward. Edward Nigma, you hired me personally. Your name was on the hiring slip. <laughs> please, tell me, please tell me you did that in your like recent um, interview. I, I hope that God you like you pulled that out just to freak people out. Oh, I should have. But much like Brennan said, I feel like Jim Carrey's take here is a little Frank Gorshin inspired to to an extent, but. I will never not forget Jim Carrey in his green Riddler suit with that with that ridiculous red haircut and in the in the Batcave. You know, I know we're fast forwarding here, but hey, <laughs> you know we're we're jumping all over the place as it is, and he just yells "Joygasm!" Oh man, yeah, that's that's kind of how I remember Jim Carrey's Riddler per se. When I think of Jim Carrey as the Riddler, that's for whatever reason that's the one scene that pops into my head. But yeah, when he's when he's introduced here, it's it's it's. It's very much Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey in 1995, and it it's much 
much like Brennan said again, you know, I'll kind of piggyback off what he said here. It's it the the, the cast of this movie kind of defines this movie as well as it does. Mm. And it's like again, it, it's sort of at the start here when you first meet him, like it it could be portrayed as a little bit sinister. Like you can see the. <laughs> the moment where he breaks but then you know when he's back trialing out the box with um with ed and he's just doing i guess i don't know a 95 jim carrey version of a soliloquy like (laughs) that's when it goes really over the top and again it, it doesn't that's the turning point and it doesn't look back like it makes that turn and that's what he is for the rest of the film yeah i i could agree to that definitely i don't see no issue with that I, I mean, yes, and, and there is that moment where, like, um, that Bruce is giving him his time, hearing out his proposal for the kind of the new tech that could be used for Wayne Enterprise and everything. And Bruce is being polite and cordial, but it's Edward's pride that really is like, no, I kind of want that now, and just be very impatient here. And Bruce has to put the hammer down, like, I guess it's not going to happen. And. Even that, that one line, like, he says, like, I'll make you understand. And, like, yeah, that is kind of a sinister thing. But when we see the actual device being used, as supposed to make TV interactive. We find out, like, oh, no, he sucked the brainwaves off of uh, people using it. It does seem like it's we, – we're going to put up – set up two cameras and let Jim Carrey go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we're gonna mm-hmm. find it in editing where we want to where this goes. <coughs> and that's like this could be a bad thing. Like some really cool stuff can come out of improvisations, but I personally think you do improvisations in rehearsal, finding out what works, and then when you get to the day, you know what you have to do and you move on. Like uh, what, like Sidney Lumet did, it's what Martin Scorsese did. But then you think if like. I guess it's my biggest thing about most comedies these days where it's just like cameras going and it's just actors vamping, not wanting to um, be the last, always have the last word. And it's just kind of like, I think a lot of like Joe Apatow movies are made this way, not saying it's anything bad, but it's just not my personal preference. I like to have a scene have a purpose and have an ending and moving on. Fair point. Yeah. Um, and so Enigma kills his. Um, his boss and quits and decides to want to mess with uh, Bruce Wayne by living in riddles. And I, I like the designs of these riddles. I, I, I like the productions. I like the art direction of like each yeah. one. And it's something that you like, it's so easy. Like it could be really cheap and everything, but I, if there was a prop I want from this movie, it would be one of these riddle sets that he leaves for Bruce Wayne. That's a good call. Yep. Actually, one of the one of the best things about the promotion of this movie was having the bat symbol inside one of those riddle symbols on a poster. The question marks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those question marks were awesome. <clears throat> I agree, they were. I mean, you. It is, I think, just as iconic as the Batman '89 poster. I know it's that could be kind of hyperbolic to some people, but I think you see that you know exactly what this movie is. Mm-hmm. No doubt. And like I even had a T-shirt of that once, and like I, I, when I went to my like my evening job, and like one of the editors is a huge comic book person. He's like, "I'm not the biggest fan of that movie, but that's a dope logo, and as you have balls wearing that out in public." And I'm like, "Yep, that's how that's just how I roll." Oh shit, I'd wear it everywhere. <laughs> I used to have a hat. I used to have a hat with the riddle 
Oh, to, on, so did and, I. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> had the bat inside the riddle. It was white and black. It was awesome. I love wearing that hat. I don't know what happened to it. I'm just going to sing about other things, but Batman I'm just like, all right, well, I keep moving on. And so, <laughs> so Bruce Wayne is having kind of, he's having a crisis here that he is kind of trying to come to, I guess, an understanding of where he is in his life. And this comes into, he goes to Dr. Chase Marine to find out more about, I guess, a little bit about her and see if like he maybe need help. He might need help in the future. And this kind of goes into, a subplot that was cut out of this movie, but we were, we seen kind of breadcrumbs of left in this movie. The and Red it, Book. The Red Book. The Red Book. And which finds out that it was Thomas's Wayne Journal, and Bruce goes back to it and finds out the last entry is that it was Bruce's insistence that they go out that night that end up the Waynes being killed. So. Batman is not just for vengeance, it's atonement for this decision of making them go out that night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which just has happened in the comics in certain iterations, especially Batman Brave and the Bold goes that way. And it's like one of the darkest episodes of that TV show when that happens. Yeah. I agree, yeah. Um, you know, the Red Book regarding that, and, and ha- I, I, you know, I kind of just wonder what would have happened if they let... Joel Schumacher just do his original the- his original cut of the movie, you know, with with Harvey breaking out of Arkham and having this subplot. And I wonder how the movie would have turned out with all of this actually packed into it. Would have been a very different movie. Yeah, you- I think Schumacher gets a bit of a bum rap for this movie. Like his intended movie, and probably like given all the stuff that they shot, it was going to be a very different. I mean, I say darker in inverted commas, like. The movie, the whole point of it was to make it lighter and more family-friendly, but there was still going to be kind of, I think, more of a happy media movie. Um, that was never going to be the case with Batman and Robin. Like I've always said, they 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 misunderstood what worked with Batman Forever, and they blew that up to the nth degree for Batman and Robin. Like, and that mm-hmm. that's where I mean, it was just not to mention the fact that the script is just a carbon copy of this one, but just a shitty version yeah but it it's yeah like the intent was always to make a the intent for this movie was to make a really good batman movie for a wider audience and i think that's what schumacher originally shot it's just not the end product that we got that's a good way of putting it i like that Uh, it, it seems that the two hour and 40 minute cut the original cut of this movie was more in line there was more detective tissue thematically to the Burton movies and would have been the happy medium for Burton fans and Schumacher fans of these movies who they say like, Oh, it would have been the perfect movie. Probably not. However, I think it would have made the pill of this movie. You'd be able to swallow it a little bit easier. Mm. Yeah. For, for someone like say, you know, Andy from Holly Backcast, like who, who again doesn't like this movie, but worships the, the Burton movies and, and good on him. I mean, that's, he's got his preferences. That's not a problem, but yeah, like it may have made the transition just that little bit easier. Had it have been the original intended movie that, like I said, it must've been late in the process that they made these changes because the official movie magazine, like the novelization, like the comic, it all plays out the way it was originally intended. Definitely. And I I guess it seemed that Warner Brothers was very hands-on with this movie to try and course correct 
uh, the feelings towards the previous Batman movie. Not like history's gonna, familiar. I was gonna say, not like history's gonna ever repeat itself that way. Never. Yeah, never. <laughs> not with a Batman movie ever. But, <sighs> yeah, no. Uh, release, uh-huh. release the Schumacher cut. That's all I say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody's gonna shank me at a comic convention. I know it. Um, Maybe. I dealt with that cult once on Twitter, and I'm like, I do it. I'll never again. I'll never. It's it's not worth my time or breath or anything, but another thing, a big thing that happened in this movie is that we finally get a Robin after two attempts in both Batman and Batman Returns. They try to have a Robin in there, and now we have Chris O'Donnell. And what happens is that Two Face is responsible of killing um, Robin's parents and Robin's family, I should say, rather than Tony Zuko, which is the common comic uh origin how do you guys feel about crystal down as robin and the aging up of dick grayson for this continuity of batman you want to go first brian or, do you, or should i uh i mean yeah I, I can go if you'd like yeah go i've ahead. got like i i understand what they were going for um they were going for more of a brotherly relationship than a father and son um i think I think in 1995, that was the way to go. Um, I think it would have been weird had it have been a child, Robin. Um, I mean, as far back as, uh, you know, all Batman Returns, when it was meant to be one of the Waynes um, brothers, like, he wasn't a kid. Like, it was it was always going to be an aged-up Robin. Um, we, again, I don't have a problem with. I think Chris O'Donnell was, was, was a perfectly serviceable Robin for this movie. Like... The origin, I had no problem with them working Two-Face into it. Like, I think that was just clever writing. Um, I, you know, it wasn't going so far as having, you know, the Joker be the killer of Batman's parents. Um, it was a good way of getting it into the movie. The The origin was, you know, aside from the Two-Face twist, like, it was spot on. Like, I mean, like, he had a sibling, but that doesn't really change anything. Like, it just shows they were a, a close family unit. Um, yeah, I, I think he, he did great. Like, I know he gets a lot of flack for the, um, you know, the laundry scene. I, I like it. I always have. I still do. Like, I, I was chuckling at it at, uh, you know, the cinema last weekend. Like, I like that movie, that scene where it shows that, you know, he's capable and, you know, he can do his own laundry, but he just does it in a, in a different way. Like, I liked that. Like, I liked the costume. Um, I thought he did a serviceable job. You know, the, the holy rusted metal line bugs some people. Again, I like it. Like, if you're going to introduce Robin for the first time, like, back in 95, that was – the 60s show was pretty much the only reference that people had for a Robin who weren't watching I mean, the animated series or reading the comics because – you know the the old cartoon Robin, the Super Friends Robin, the you know the Adventures of Batman and Robin, Robin. That's how he spoke. It was still holy this and holy that, and to sort of give it a bit of a nod and get it out of the way, like it worked for me. I I don't know. I I liked it, and and you know I think Chris O'Donnell was great. Chris O'Donnell was 
the first Robin to me. You know what I mean? He was he was Dick Grayson. He they, I think the reason they made him a college student was probably more to keep it in line, kind of to follow maybe the the animated series a little bit and because that's the Dick thing, Gr- like people people dig that movie for having an older Robin. He's a college student in the animated series, and people worship that show. Well, right. he he at least he was a child when he was adopted. And it wasn't until like he but was. But you don't see it. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. I I, I got you. I think the way they handled Robin's origin in this movie, having Two-Face be the perpetrator of the death of the Graysons and then having Dick promptly be like, hey, you know, I'm going to open my door for you. Um, and then having Dick just kind of turn around and be like, nope, I'm good. I'm going to go handle this myself. I'm going to go kill Two-Face. And Bruce is just like, what? Are, really? You really think that's going to solve your problems? So I think that the journey that Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson takes in this movie is a bit more in line with what we've seen before. But um, now, looking back, objectively, you know, you have other Robins to choose from, like, say, uh, Brenton Thwaites on Titans. But uh, I still maintain that Chris O'Donnell did, a, much like Brennan said, a serviceable job, if not a, a decent job as Robin. He was he, he did what he was supposed to do, you know? Yeah. He, he, he was brought in, he did a job, he did what he was supposed to do, and I, I don't think there was much of a problem in that. And much like Brennan, that holy, holy rusted metal Batman line kills me every single time. And even up right there towards the end, when he's facing down Two-Face on Riddler Island, and he says, I'd rather see you in jail. It's like, yes, Robin finally made the right decision. He learned his lesson. There we go. Yeah, yeah. like, it, it was great. It, it was 1995 Robin. <laughs> <laughs> and after that Holy Wrestling Metal Batman, it has two of my favorite line deliveries from Val Kilmer in that scene. <laughs> like, first, like, huh? Huh? Uh, like, I'm genuinely confused on that. It's like, oh, it's the whole, the whole place. It's like, holy, oh, <laughs> and this is, <laughs> I have no idea why I chuckle every single time at that delivery uh, that he's baffled by what Robin is saying in that moment. And yeah, I mean, I had seen the 60s uh, TV show in reruns and, uh, like Burt Ward was like, like Crystal Down seemed like a, 90s version of that, just like a little more updated, but like I had a little bit of spunk that that kind of the animated series had. But and he had like a Tim Drake costume. I mean, nowadays Tim Drake is my favorite Robin. I know that some people are less sacrilegious. Like, it should be Dick Grayson. I'm like, no, I think Dick Grayson is greatest Robin, but I think I like him more as Nightwing. Um, Tim's it, great. Yeah, and, and if like if I find somebody who has a problem with t- uh, Tim Drake, that's when I I have to go rumble in the Bronx with them. Um, <laughs> and Dick is, Grayson is Nightwing. Like you have to you have to smack them like a six year old in the video. Store. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's they my got thing now. Yep, you just <laughs> don't I'm smack a real six year olds now in video stores. Oh hey. no, never. <laughs> well, I. You can't find a video store to do it in, so... <laughs> you see, that, that, that's where he goes to abuse children. He brings them to abandoned video stores to slap them around. <laughs> and that's how he terrifies them. And he throws VHS copies of Batman Forever at them. Uh, um, it's, and, and, and I do like... I mean, I understand, like, aging up um, Robin in this because... You, because Think of it this way. Next year, the SNL skit, the ambiguously gay duo, is debuted because it was a punchline with Batman and Robin. And, like, hell, even that, that book, Seduction, The Innocent, which, like, um, vilified comic books, saying that comic books were responsible for um, asthma because kids are inside reading rather than outside playing. Or it promotes homosexuality between Batman and Robin and so on and so forth. <laughs> 
Not, so, not in this movie, it doesn't. No. no. Riddler, Riddler and Two-Face, however. <laughs> yes, they're very close to this movie. I'm talking about proximity. They're like, they're like, they're like <laughs> ear to ear for most of the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, um, damn near, pretty much the whole movie. Yeah, uh, like, even from the like, very first scene, they're just like right up on each other. Like, they're just like, oh my god, they're like they're, they're probably both mouth breathers. Like, I don't want to be that close to Two Face, even when I'm pleading for my life. Um, <laughs> it's just ridiculous, and I even like how the that Alfred played by Michael Goth, like as he does in all four movies. His his relationship between him and Chris O'Donnell is very different from him and uh, Val Kilmer, and like he just refers to him, just calls him Al, and even that one moment where like how it clenches the deal to get uh, Robin to stay with them is that that Alfred has this, the greatest looking burger ever. On I'm that- surprised it's not a McDonald's burger to tell you the truth. <laughs> Uh, seriously, I, I would not be surprised. I, I, well, that would be funny. It's just like the McDonald's logo is just angled precisely at the camera. Yes. And everything. <laughs> I don't know. I, like that would be on levels of dying of the day if it comes to product placement uh, subtlety. As you, as a Bond fan, even you got to concede the fact that the product placement oh, was yeah, crazy no. in that movie. Oh yeah. I sort of like it. I'm thinking like how Kingsman, like how they, you know, they're eating McDonald's, <laughs> like in the, the fancy mansion off the silver plates. But it, you mentioned that scene though. Like, I haven't, I hadn't, when I saw it on the big screen the other day, like, I hadn't watched Batman Forever for maybe 12 to 18 months. Um, and I don't know, like, to me, that scene really works. Like, the way he gets him to stay, like, because Dick just thinks he's this rich idiot. And, you know, when he gets him with the, the motorbike angle, like, that's really cool, but then the way Alfred comes in with the, you know, like, oh, pity, I'll just toss this away then. Perhaps the dogs are hungry. Like, that's that's a really, I think that's a good scene. I mean, yeah, it's played for laughs, but it works. I really like that scene. I, I like when they kind of bond over motorcycles and that they're, they're both of them are kind of gearheads. And uh-huh. it, it's, it's like an, it's an olive branch between the two of them right there. And the way Bruce is like, you know, you know, with the whichever bike it is, I can't remember how he's like, you know, this one needs a lot of work, you know, so if someone were to fix it, they could keep one as a fee. And you can see Dick thinking like, holy shit. And then the next, without missing a beat, Bruce is just like, oh, well, you know, I hope you land on your feet and like <laughs> shakes his hand. He's like, see ya. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's totally intentional right there. With the one-two punch of Alfred. Yeah, it's, it's great. I really enjoy that scene. <laughs> I, I do too, guys. I, I enjoy that scene very much. Uh, Chris O'Donnell and, and Michael Go play that scene pretty pretty well. I, that's actually one of, the, in my opinion, one of the most seminal things about this movie is is Michael Go's relationship with not only Chris O'Donnell and uh, Val Kilmer as as Alfred between Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. I think it's it's masterfully done. Yeah, he's a he's a he's the voice of reason. Like he really is. Like, and and. He is like he Bruce is for the most part when it comes to Dick in this movie like he is being a dick like he can't I know that he's trying to stop Dick from becoming what he did but he doesn't realize that no matter what you do he's either going to do this with or without you and it's it's safer for Dick if he does it with the guidance of Bruce Right, because he doesn't trust Dick at that point, and this is the, that's the whole point of their arc, or at least his arc when it comes to um, 
with Robin is that he has to learn to trust him, and he doesn't. And so, and but even though we we have to play that arc again in Batman and Robin, it's one of the biggest problems I have for that movie is that they're playing the exact same beats from this movie. But... Well, yeah, I mean, and that was the thing too. Like, it's a movie called Batman and Robin, but you never, not wanting to jump, you know, and talk too much about that movie, but like, you never actually, in this run of films, you never actually get to see just Batman and Robin being Batman and Robin. Like, in this movie, you do in the final scene because it builds to it, but then straight, no pun intended, straight off the bat in Batman and Robin, they're fighting with each other. Like, you, you never get to see that in between where they're just working well as as the dynamic duo, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what happens when chicks dig the car. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of my favorite scenes from the movie when, when Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson takes off the Batmobile and chicks dig the car. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it was so funny. Like, I was thinking about um, that is a... I think it's The Offspring doing a cover of a, like a Clash song. I think. Uh, hold on, let me let me double check. I want to be sure about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's The Offspring doing Smash It Up. Uh, is it really? Yeah, it's The wow. Damned. Excuse me. Uh, um, and I listened to that while driving home from work like last week. And I, I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be honest that I probably drove a little bit faster than usual because I was just thinking of like joy riding the Batmobile. Like, how much fun would that be? And it's the only scene, and it's only very brief, because in a lot of the promotional stuff and the toys for this movie, the Batmobile has the split fin. Yeah. I don't know Mm -hmm. if that was meant to play a bigger part in the movie, but you only see it for a split second with the split fin, and it's while Dick's taking it for a joyride. I think he did that intentionally, but it makes you wonder why it was only split-finned for that split second in the entire movie. It makes you wonder when it was promotionalized. Some of the promo stuff, it was everywhere. (laughs) I find that I do find that a little jarring. Um, but let's talk about the Batmobile because it's not this is not the Anton for Anton first design Batmobile. This is a new one. I mean, there was an earlier concept that H.R. Geiger designed a version of the Batmobile, which was very phallic, like like everything that H.R. Geiger. Very weird. <laughs> yeah, it was I was weird. just about to say it was like, this like, is not the H.R. Geiger Batmobile. <laughs> no, if like if you looked at it, like it, it was like. The letter X on wheels, like if you look at it from the top, like that's why I would design it because it was like, it was very strange how you would, the design of uh, that car. But what are your feelings on this Batmobile and the fact that it can drive up walls? That's one of the coolest things about this Batmobile, the fact that it drives up walls. I also like that it's got this rib cage on the on the front end of it. The, the bat symbols on the wheels make it look a little more Batmobile-esque in a sense. I mean, the Anton first one from Batman and Batman 89 and Batman Returns is always a seminal classic, don't get me wrong. But the one for this movie, it, it goes up walls. It escapes explosions and goes up walls. How could you hate that? <laughs> <laughs> I Honestly, I've always liked it. Like, yeah, the, you know, the Anton first Burton Batmobile, it's always going to be the best like in t- I guess like Batman 89 like it's always going to be the best um but I still I have a real soft spot for this Batmobile and I I've again I'm repeating myself I said this on Holly Batcast once I don't know what it is but like I really liked that fin like that center fin um there was just something that always I just always really aesthetically liked that and yeah like you like I liked how it had that sort of rib cage look um 
again, I, I even liked the blue, like the blue sort of like light that it had behind it. Like I thought it just looked really, really cool. I loved how the bat mode, like the bat signal hubcaps didn't spin. Like I mm-hmm. thought that was really cool. Um, I, I, as a kid, all I wanted for Christmas 1995 was the the toy of this Batmobile, the one that lit up, like, and I got it, but I, I just, I don't know, I, I loved this Batmobile as a kid, it was, it was just, I don't know, it's hard to put into words, but there was something about the design of it that just, in the marketing and, and when this movie came out, I was really drawn to it, like, I, yeah, I just, I loved it, again, as a kid, I absolutely loved it. But you know, as an adult, I've obviously swung back toward more towards the the you know the eighty nine Batmobile because it's just classic. But yeah, I do I do really like this Batmobile. I mean the the bat uh, the bat hubcaps are there, so you realize oh this is the Batmobile. If like, if, <laughs> if, if that wasn't obvious enough going into it, um, but I always love the hubcaps didn't spin and like the tires would just spin around it, and the rib cage is always really cool. Um, I like that all the gadgets for it, and and yes, the Batmobile driving up the wall was became which became another punchline, even in later episodes of Batman the Animated Series where they literally make fun of Joel Schumacher. Yeah, shut up, Joel. <laughs> yeah, I remember that episode. That's a bit harsh. It's I laughed at the time, harsh. but it's a bit harsh. It's a little harsh, just a little bit. I think it was just a re- Legends of the Dark Knight. Episode. The Dark Knight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jay and I talked about that on our episode uh, of uh, Superhero Stress yesterday. Funny enough, that that episode came up. Huh. Synchronicity going on right there. But, yep. And as I mentioned before, when I talked about the soundtrack and like how it was very 1995, your feelings on the tie-in pop album with as much like how Prince had a tie-in album with Batman 89. Oh, I love Seal. I love that song. I love Kiss from a Rose. There's no question about it. I listened to that song on my way home from Oklahoma, and I've listened to it quite often since. Um, it's actually one of the one of the songs I definitely remember about the movie growing up was that song in particular. So that that song, much like the movie, has kind of a small, small soft place in my heart. Uh, I was obsessed with "Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me." That's another good um, one. To be to be perfectly honest, I I didn't like I'd heard of you two, but I didn't know who they were before that song. Um, the video for that song was awesome, like sort of the animated comic style. Um, that guitar riff, like with you know, sort of like the the wah wah pedal, whatever it is. I mm-hmm. I don't know. I that's out of the original four Batman movies. That's my favorite pop sort of tie in pop song. Um, that came out. I and I, I do love the Kiss. So, sorry, the Kiss the um, the Seal song. Um, I had both of those on a cassette single, um, <laughs> showing my age. Uh, yeah, I, the, I, the soundtrack was. It's got a Michael Hutchins song on there. Like Michael Hutchins <laughs> doing the Passenger. Like, you know, and that song was the Devlins. I think doing Crossing the River. Like, that's a cool song as well. Like, it was a it was a killer soundtrack. But yeah. U2's Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me is just top-notch for me. I fucking love that song. I mean, you got Bad Days by the Flaming Lips, and then we mentioned before, Smash It Up by the Offspring, which is another rock, really rocking tune. And I kind of wish there was more albums like this with comic book movies. I think it just makes sense. I mean, that's why I enjoy the Suicide Squad um, 
tie-in soundtrack as well. But I understand the detractors out there saying, like, am I just listening to somebody's iPod shuffle mix while watching a movie? And that's how it kind of feels. And I, I, I get that. But... Like have you said before, this is this is 1995 in a nutshell. If I want if I want to flashback to it, I will put it on this album. And the U2 song, yes, it's a, that's something I, I've grown to appreciate over the years because the song that I loved from the very beginning was "Kiss from a Rose" by Seal. There was many a times where, because I don't drink, I'm usually the designated driver for all my friends. Um, hey, me too. Yeah, me too. Wow. No, no wonder we're a bunch of uh, weenies talking about Batman forever. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's like nine times out of ten, it's myself and all my drunk friends, and I will put on Kiss the Rose, and we will horribly sing along to this as I'm driving us, us home. And <laughs> there is video of us, like, just off-key and just screaming at the top of our lungs, and none of us can hit the notes and it is ridiculous and none of that would have happened because of like our appreciation or maybe ironic appreciation for Batman forever but besides the pop soundtrack what do you think of Elliot Goldenthal's score to Batman forever in comparison to Danny Elfman's score of Batman and Batman Returns I uh, like there's actually just quickly I just wanted to mention too that both Hold Me Through Me Kiss Me Kill Me and Kiss From A Rose they were both number one singles here in Australia so that you know again soundtrack was was just as huge as the movie but as far as the score I mean the Golden Thor one is fine um, but you know there's no comparison when it comes to to, to the, the original Batman movies and, and Danny Elfman's score like it's just it's fantastic like I remember in the main Batman, like in the main trailer for Batman Forever, they use the Danny Elfman score. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really kicks in when they introduce Robin in the trailer. And uh, that shot of, of Robin sort of standing on Claw Island with all the green lights and stuff around him is when the score really kicks in. Um, and it works. Like, it works really, really well. Um yeah, it's, it's a shame they couldn't... I get the whole rebranding thing, but it would have been cool if that was another through line, kind of like the the John Williams score from, from Superman, if, if they could have kept that that theme going all the way through. It, I think it would have improved the movie significantly. I mean, we all know there's only one Batman theme, right? Oh, yeah. Only one Batman theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh. You were going to say... The Elliot Goldenthal theme, you think of the, you think of Danny Elfman's theme, you think, okay, Batman 89, Batman Returns. You think the Elliot Goldenthal theme, you think of Val Kilmer or George Clooney. And also, to kind of piggyback from the beginning, when the Warner Brothers logo morphs into the bat symbol and, and the Goldenthal theme kind of kicks in, it, it, it is what it is. And it, it, it makes it feel like it's that as opposed to this. You know, if, if you guys are getting what I'm saying here. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. So, um, much like Brennan and Tim, I'm, I'm fine. It's, it's, it's good for this movie, but I feel like it got regurgitated and, and reused again for Batman Forever. And that's, you know, one of my many gripes with Batman and Robin. Uh, yeah, Batman and Robin, it gets regurgitated in Batman and Robin, I mean, not Batman Forever. It's the, 
original one for Batman Forever. I mean, it's not the only thing I regurgitated for that movie. So you, you know, <laughs> I, I understand that slip up of comparing this, getting the titles mixed up. I that just goes to show how much of a carbon copy uh, Batman and Robin is to Batman Forever, but I think even worse. I mean, I think I, I think oh. that's a subjectively or objectively, we could all agree that Batman and Robin's the worst live action Batman movie um, that we've ever had. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's probably somebody out there that probably prefers Batman or Robin to uh, Batman v Superman. I'm sure there is, but um, I'm sure there's people out there who probably prefer Batman and Robin to The Dark Knight Rises. But hey, you know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the great things about the character, like. As terrible as Batman and Robin is, it's still a faithful adaptation of Batman. Yeah. Like, it really is. You know, for, yeah, I don't like the movie, um, and I've, I've grown to like it less and less as I've gotten older. And I know a lot of people would say, how is that possible when you like Batman forever so much? But like I said before, to me, Batman and Robin is just a rushed sequel where they just tried to redo what they did with Batman Forever but make it ten times bigger and it just doesn't work. Like this is gonna sound so weird, but Batman Forever is a much more subtle movie than Batman and Robin. <laughs> and Batman Forever is not a subtle movie. No, it is not. And I, I would agree. Like in terms of straight up subtlety between the two of them, Batman Forever is more tame. You know, Mr. Freeze is making puns left and right straight up and uma thurman is in that movie to be eye candy as as much as it hurts me to say that because i enjoy uma thurman as an actress so what do you got what's the wrong what's wrong with puns nothing there's nothing wrong with puns it's just, i don't know it is, that's Fr- something to be a little derogatory about my my go-to humor <laughs> no, no, no no not at all i'm just saying like mr freeze is notoriously not a pun kind of character no he's he's this I wouldn't necessarily say dark antithesis, but he he mirrors Batman in the sense of like he he doesn't have a hum he doesn't have his humanity anymore. He lost his wife to a very rare disease, and he's now trying to spend every resource he can to save her life. So he doesn't really much like Batman in a sense doesn't really have much care for their humanity in in a weird way. No, I know I'm just busting chops. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's I think of it this way. I think. Of, Batman Forever is is a sincere movie. I think yes. everybody went into that with the full intention of making the best movie possible. And I think Batman Robin is contractually obligated. And a toy commercial. Oh, yep. for sure. Because that's the thing. Like, people... If you watch the special features for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin on the, the DVDs and stuff, Joel Schumacher even says, like... When they were making Batman Forever, they struggled to get sponsors because because of what had happened with Batman Returns, and people didn't really feel the need for another Batman movie. Like, you know, they the people he, he even said the line like the people who came on board and took the risk got rewarded big time for taking that risk. But then come Batman and Robin, everyone and their grandmother wanted to be involved because because Batman Forever had hit so big and the success of Bat it's weird like the success of the the, the semi failure of Batman and Batman and uh, returns led to what Batman Forever is and the huge success of Batman Forever is what led to the absolute 
just joke that was Batman and Robin, but each movie fed into the other. And it, it just, yeah, Batman Forever created a beast that that morphed into just the horrible thing that was Batman and Batman and Robin. A train wreck. Yeah. I mean, it killed the character for eight years. And yeah. nearly killed the comic book <clears throat> movies as an entire genre right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Warner struggled to get Batman back off the ground. They had a couple different projects lined up in between Batman and Robin and Batman Begins before they finally settled with Christopher Nolan doing Batman Begins. I know there was a, a Batman Triumphant, talks of that. There was talks of Batman Beyond. There was Darren Aronofsky's Year One take. Uh, I think there might have been one a, more. There was, but a I Batman, there was a Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Wolfgang Peterson one. That's right. That is absolutely correct. And yeah, it, 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 it's so funny because like if you go to like Christopher Nolan's first movie and following, there's a Batman logo on the main character's like uh, apartment door, and and very briefly like he that in Memento, Guy Pierce like zips by a comic book shop and there's a Batman and Superman logo right next to each other. I'm sure that one's probably pure coincidence, but it definitely seems that Batman was a thing on Christopher Nolan's mind, and it just seems like it went to the right person. As much as I would love to see a Batman Beyond movie, I think we're still waiting for a Batman Beyond movie. I think it needs just a little bit of time for us to get there. I'm sure we will get there eventually. Um, I, I still think that Michael Keaton should play old Bruce Wayne at this point, just for nostalgia purposes. Uh-huh. I feel like if a Batman Beyond movie needs to be made, it needs to reflect that time. So anywhere between 2029 and 2039 would probably be a little more applicable. I mean, you could argue that you could do it now, but that's purely just to get Michael Keaton back in the role. Right. I just don't know if humanity is going to be here by 2029 and 2039, so I'm just being selfish right now. (laughs) Fair point. Anyway, back to Batman Forever. Um... I was going to say, like, is there, like, a set piece or, like, an action set piece that you really enjoy the most uh, of this movie? Because we have, like, we have the fight at the the bank. We have the stuff at the circus. We have um, the the gala that that um, Nygma holds, that, 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 that he holds, that uh, Batman, uh, Two-Face shows up and Batman breaks it up. Do you have one that you guys really enjoyed the most? Hmm. As a kid, I always liked the finale because getting to see them, you know, Batman and Robin together finally. I don't know. Like, I think maybe the, um, yeah, maybe the the Nigmatech Gala, um, you know, how it ends with, you know, the, the thing in the, the subway, the abandoned subway tunnel and like Batman running out of the fire and everything. Like, Kilmer looks badass in that scene. Like, I, I'm probably going to lean towards that one. I think for me... It's probably the scene that starts with Alfred leading Bruce down to the Batcave for the final confrontation with uh, Enigma and Two-Face. And he goes, all the suits were destroyed except the prototype model down here, but you haven't tested it yet. And Bruce goes, tonight's a good night. And he takes it off, and it's the sonar suit, and it's got the big old Bat logo on the chest. And then him and Robin promptly launch their assault on Enigma Tech Island. I think that whole that whole sequence between Bruce getting in the Batwing and him reconciling with Robin, Robin taking the Batboat, 
them going and assaulting Nigmatech Island and having to deal with like the bombs in the water, the goons uh, underwater climbing up the mountain, having Batman have that final confrontation with the Riddler and Two Face. I think that the ending of that movie is probably my my most vivid, cherished memory of it, honestly, and sequence. Nice. Um, I'm gonna have to probably like Brendan. I'm gonna have to lean on that the the Nigmatech uh, gala. Uh, brouhaha because it has two of my favorite shots one is when after batman comes crashing through the skylight he and the goons are firing at him and he does like the kind of like the flip in the air in slow motion as they're firing machine guns at him and he takes both of those dudes out that's 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 batman to a t right there it's a weird edit the way it plays out in the movie though man like, batman yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, what, what do you mean? Know. Like, uh, go, go with that. What do you mean? Like, how the editing's a little odd? Like the way, because you sort of see him crash. You don't really see him land, and then it's like just straight into a different angle, and he's kind of already flipping. Like it, I don't know. Like it just to me, it's always felt like a really weird edit. The way it, the way the flips in there. It's kind of a jump cut that we don't see him go into yeah. the flip. He, he just like he's already in midair when we cut to him. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly a stuntman. Like, that whole scene, they don't even try and hide the fact that it's not Kilmer. So if that had something to do with it, like, guys, it doesn't matter because it's, like I said, it's clearly not Val Kilmer. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, like... Where that's that's Roger Moore territory, James Bond, you know, where it's, like, <laughs> clearly not him, you know. Uh, that was, like, flashes of A View to a Kill, where it's, like, like how much of it is just Roger Moore's stunt double right there, jeez. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he, seeing it on the big screen it is so apparent there. I mean, but that's just like that's the thing. Like, especially going from Batman Returns, like it was just the close-ups for Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton was barely in the suit in Batman Returns. It was mostly the stunt man for that movie, which is kind of disheartening. Um, a disheartening. Yeah, <clears throat> but also then like the what you mentioned before with him coming out of the fire, like after, um. Two Face tries to set him ablaze with a gas and a grenade launcher. Like that's Batman as fuck right there. Of him coming out of the flames and still standing there, ready to duke it out with evil. Like that's that's Batman right there. And when I, I feel Two Face's frustration there, where he says, "Why would you just die?" Just die. Like I, I get that. There's so many times where I've dealt with a uh, pest, like uh, insects that I'm like, what, like it, that won't die, and I'm like, I, I, I feel that pain there. But what, like, we haven't really talked about the the Riddler's uh, kind of plot here. I mean, like, what do you think about him draining the the minds of Gothamites and such with his box that's supposed to be interactive to make, I guess, a four D experience out of your television set? It's a nineties version of a plot a nice... that the sixty six Riddler would have done. <laughs> Not only that, it kind of reflects the times a little bit in the sense, like, it, it cable saps and brainwashes you. In a weird sense, if 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 that makes any kind of sense at all, like he basically made another cable box and warped these people into believing they were getting what they want, when in reality he's just sucking their mind and becoming more knowledgeable. It and yeah, it is kind of a plot from the '60s TV show, just adapted in the '90s. Here's a question for you guys: When it comes to the Riddler, is he actively wearing a wig when he's the Riddler? Or, like, because those hairstyles, 
they're completely yeah like there's no way he can go from one to the other so quickly <laughs> like is he actively wearing wigs when he's the riddler that's a good question because it kind of looks is it like just that meant way to be like a you know a, a just a you're just not meant to think about it but like the the way he goes from like the spiky flat top to then having like i guess normal jim carrey hair in the in the bruce yeah. wayne haircut style and then back to the flat top and then back yeah it's just kind of like dude what's the go there <laughs> I guess, like, as somebody who's dyed his hair at least once, um, I wasn't being ashamed of being a ginger. It was for a costume. Um, it's not easy getting dye out of your hair, especially if you have very, like, dark hair like mine, like, like red hair, and trying to get red dye out is even a, a bigger bitch, so I've been told. I mean, it has to be a wig, because otherwise, like, he, you can go back and forth like that with his traditional, like, brown hair and then the red flat top, because that would be too jarring. And be too much of a pain in the ass, but it might. We might just be thinking too too deep about that. You should kind of. I guess you were supposed to just go with it? Question mark. <laughs> oh, I didn't even mean it like that. Like, yeah. no, no pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no yeah, pun yeah intended. that's the that's the point. Like, that's that's the point where I am in my life that I just make puns unintentionally, and people think I'm being silly, and I'm like, no, no, I'm being genuine. Ah, oh, here it goes, and I feel like. Kel at the end of Keaton Kel. Keaton Kel. Um, that was but, a great show. And it's so funny, like it's like, like it's like turning people into zombies. And I look down at my smartphone. I'm like, yeah, no, it's just like humans are dumb. We would fall for tech like that for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think his, I think he, he did that part of it pretty much as, as well as he could have, you know, he, the Riddler was tasked to do with, with creating a, a mind control device. It's, it's as simple as that on paper, but when it comes to actually executing it, you know, the execution of this movie, he, it, it, it looks so nineties. It looks so 1995 because he's got this, like this spire that he hangs or plants on top of a TV and it just shoots this green beam onto someone's brain. And then suddenly they feel like they're in like a, a mental virtual reality room. But in reality, the Riddler's just sucking out their brain cells going, ah, I'm smarter than you now. Ah. Uh, I mean, I, I, it, it seems more of like a Mad Hatter plot than a Riddler plot. I'd buy that. Yeah, I can see that. Because like how like, because I've always had this image in my mind of like if you want to do Mad Hatter in the big screen, where like you have Bruce Wayne in a courtyard, like on a city street, like think of like Bruce Wayne Times Square, like he knows that Jervis Tetch is out there, and all of a sudden the entire crowd of like the crowded streets behind him just stops moving, and they all turn to him. They know that Bruce Wayne is Batman there, like. You could have done like something like that in this movie where like Batman has to do has to defeat zombified people that the Riddler is controlling and I don't know I know it's more Mad Hatter than his Riddler but I think like just lean into it if you're going to be curbing so much from that I think it's just a missed opportunity on this movie but yeah and so Batman saves both Chase Meridian and uh, Robin from falling from a death trap because very much like 66 uh, um, style we have to have death traps here and Bruce Wayne, uh, I mean, Harvey Dent falls to his death. Riddler is, his mind is warped and taken to Arkham Asylum. It's the first time we get to see a live action Arkham Asylum. And it's something that the Burton movies never touched. And it's a nice addition to these yep. movies seeing it here. Yep. Same as, um, same as Wayne Enterprises. Mm-hmm. 
And people say that Joel Schumacher never read a comic book and doesn't know anything about Batman. <laughs> See, I've always thought that's bullshit too. Like, yes, he read Batman comics, but he read them from an era that it's just misplaced. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, he was reading comics and stuff back in the 60s and and everything, and that's the Batman that he knew, so that's the Batman that he made. And I think I said this to you on the, the last episode I was on, Tim, like, people talk about the colour palette and stuff of Batman forever and give it shit. But you pick up a comic from the mid-90s, just the way that colouring worked and stuff back then, it was bright pink backgrounds and, you know, people had fucking blue and orange hair because that's how they had to colour stuff. Like, and as, as an 11-year-old in the cinema, that's what I, like, I realised then, I'm like, this looks like a comic book. You know, and I think people just don't remember what it was like back then. Because that's what comics looked like. Even serious stuff like fucking, you know, the death of Superman and um, Nightfall and stuff. Like, that's what they looked like. That's physically what they looked like. It was all bright colors. It, it's so funny. I Because I read through in all most of Nightfall from the big trades. And, like, seeing that they be... Because it's printed on old, the old uh, paper stock that, that those comics were printed on. And seeing those colors and how dramatic those kind of designs those characters are i thought of batman forever like this just seemed like a late 80s early 90s like color palette but it's definitely aping from like the 50s comics i mean if you want to say like bad words about the look of this movie here is like um stephen goldblatt the cinematographer for this movie was nominated for oscar for best cinematography for this movie i mean it, it does have a certain look to it and like it's just kind of go into the entire aesthetic of this movie here i mean i've come to the kind of conclusion that how grant morrison sees batman comics is that every era is or just like any era of a comic book character is valid and it's your it's your job to make it as seamless as possible i think it's the same thing that jeff johns is writing for all of his characters like thinking like because jeff johns is known for great with continuity and trying to make continuities work as best as possible and i think batman forever and batman robin just is just taking stuff from comics that people were not a fan of in the extreme and serious era of 90s comics i believe that yeah 90s comics come to think of it like you i read nightfall as well and, it, and the art is very colorful very much so. I remember the early early part of Nightfall where Batman has to face like a juiced up Riddler and Riddler's in that same kind of leotard uniform that Jim Carrey's in. It's, yeah, Batman Forever and Batman Robin, you know, love or hate them. They reflect the time frame they were made in. They, like, much like Graham Morrison likes to say, you know, every every interpretation is valid to some extent or another. <clears throat> I think, like, the... I know it's going to sound like I'm shitting on these movies. I'm like... The one thing about the Nolan movies, I think, was kind of a missed opportunity. It's like, there's not a lot of, like, there are iconic shots in that movie, but it's told in such a grounded reality that you do not have the majesty that what you would imagine from Batman. Like, one of the most famous shots in the very first Batman movie is just Batman just sitting in the background with the two goons are in the foreground discussing about the possibility of a bat. And he's got his, his cape, um, drawn out and everything you don't you wouldn't see something like that in the nolan trilogy and i think it's a a thing it's a shame that like nolan was kind of it seems like he was embarrassed to have those kind of moments in that in that trilogy you know as someone who isn't too big on the nolan franchise not to like you know take a dump on them per se it's just 
you know, like everyone always likes to say, there's many different versions of Batman. And as, as far as like Batman is concerned in the Nolan trilogy, that's not really my my thing. And it's, it's I, I, I get where you're coming from. You don't want to, you know, blatantly try and crap on a movie that's beloved by many, especially a trilogy, nonetheless. But much like you, I, I have issues with it. Like, they have a lot of good characters. They did a lot of good world building, but because, much like you, I, I agree, like, the fact that it's grounded in reality, it does kind of take away a bit of the spectacle that you can have with Batman. <clears throat> the colorful spectacle, I suppose. Mm. I think I think uh, I lost I've everybody. had this conversation. Oh, yeah. Go on, go on. Yeah, I, I've had this conversation with, um, with many people. Um, and look, I... I love the Dark Knight trilogy. I adore those movies, so don't at me with what I'm about to say. But I think in some ways they have they were their success and again it's sort of like one movie feeding into another, their success can has to a degree been a little bit damaging to Batman as well. Because those movies brought so many people into the character that that's their introduction, they don't... Re- and if they've only watched the movies, they don't realise that there's many valid interpretations of the character. And I don't want to get into a whole, you know, Batman killing debate here. But, you know, if if they'd only seen the Bale version of Batman and then went and saw BVS and saw, that, you know, yeah, Batman did blatantly kill people in that movie. Like, they they're not realizing that that's still a valid interpretation. Like Batman has killed in the comics and will continue to do so, you know, at, at certain times, depending on how the character's written. It's, yeah, I think that's caused a lot of unnecessary debate and yeah, broader audiences not fully understanding the history of the character and that there's many valid interpretations. It's not, it's not just the Nolan version that, that seems to be so deeply ingrained in the like the pop culture zeitgeist now. Um, so yeah, I I think the the movie success does have a little bit of a downside, and and that's probably it. Oh, totally. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, but I love the Dark Knight trilogy. Batman Begins is my favorite live action Batman movie. And yep, I'm with you there. And, Ditto. And so. And I mean, I'm probably going to fall asleep to that watching that tonight, either that or in the animated series. That's what I'm going to watch because I'm just like, I'm in that much of a Batman mood right now. And, but like, it it is like, you're right. I feel like much like how Batman Forever, like, and I guess like, I should say to a greater extent, Batman and Robin had a one effect on Batman. Like, oh, uh, people think Batman is just silly. And that's why, and I feel like Batman Begins is such a antithesis response to Batman and Robin that we're going to take it as serious as possible. We're going to like, we're going to like, we're going to be as, as authentic as this probably could. It's a heightened reality, of course. And I think it's the same thing that happened with Man of Steel versus Superman returns. That it is a response mm-hmm. to the previous iteration of this character. Yeah. Makes and sense. I mean, you even look at the, like the, like the, particularly the first season of Arrow, like, it tries. It's a comic book show, doing everything it can to not be a comic book show. And you know, in season two, when they sort of let the comic book side of things start to come in more, that's when it really hit the ground running. And you know, now it's expanded to this whole. I feel great 
you know, TV DC universe. But yeah, it's, you know, Batman Forever is unabashedly a, a 1995 comic book movie. And, you know, they, they did. They tried to, the, the Dark Knight trilogy, as much as I love it, it's a comic book movie trying, they're comic book movies trying desperately to not be comic book movies. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, from the moment Dark Knight Rises was released, I was on a, like a, a, an old podcast back in the day, and as much as I, I was obsessed with the Nolan movies, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm glad this version has been done. Now I want to see a more comic faithful version of the character. And we, we were getting there with Affleck. Like I would have liked to have seen where that went, but I don't want to open that can of worms. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, and that's what I'm really looking forward to with what we know so far about Matt Reeves version is it's going to be a Batman in a world where multiple villains exist. And you know, it's 30 years this year since Batman mm-hmm. 89 came out. We've never had that. It's always been a world where it's kind of like one villain at a time. Like they line up, like, I want to see a world where they all exist at the same time and expand that Batman family. You know, if the DC universe as a whole, we all know it's got its problems. I don't know how they're going to try and make all this work now that, you know, Aquaman and Wonder Woman are are smash hits and they can continue on, but the rest of the Justice League cast has kind of fallen by the wayside. Like, I don't care, but you can do a Batman universe. Like, there's so many characters that are so well-known that they can stand on their own and in a broader universe. And bring us that. Like, bring us a, a broad Batman world in live action because it's it's right there. It's right in front of you. You just need to do it. I agree. You know, with Matt Reeves gearing up to probably go into production here, probably by the end of the year, beginning of next year, <coughs> excuse me, and with all the talk of potentially up to six Six villains appearing in this movie with a potential confirmation of Penguin and Catwoman. Like, what more could you ask for as a Batman fan? Like, Batman's going to go up against Penguin, Catwoman, and probably four other villains in this next movie, and they're probably going to be big name chiefs. I, I, I really wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see Riddler or Two Face again, or maybe even um, Clayface. I'd really like to see Clayface. I think Matt Reeves and Andy Serkis could do wonderful things with Clayface, but that's just me personally. Um, as far as Batman himself and moving forward with the DC universe on film. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to open that can of worms, but I'll just say briefly that I would have liked to see Affleck go forward. I mean, you could have kind of drawn it out and turned like a dark Knight Returns storyline into a 10 year thing, but Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to complain with what we're getting now. Matt Reeves. And most likely it looks like it's either going to be Robert Pattinson or maybe even Nicholas Holt. I'm not really sure how that thing works. Warner Brothers has it handled. They're going to cast Batman when they cast Batman, but it's 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 looking like it might be Robert Pattinson. So hats off to him if he pulls off a great Batman. I'm, I'm excited to see what comes of it. Right. I mean, that's why I enjoy so much of, like, 90s era of comic books when it comes to Batman is because there was an entire family operating at this time. Like you had Batman, you had Nightwing book, you had a Robin book, uh, you like you had Oracle, and something like that's never been done on the, like the big screen when it comes to Batman. Now, there's an entire universe out there to be explored, and we have an opportunity for it to be done here. I mean, hell, you think of like like the Marvel, the MCU, or even like the Fast and Furious franchise. But like we're now having spinoffs within this franchise here that seem to be successful. You could do that with Batman, and. It seems like 
going into 2012, you asked me January 1st, 2012, what's the comic book movie I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the most this year? It would have been The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what comic book movie did I enjoy the most that year? Probably going to say Avengers. The Avengers. <laughs> and not saying that either one's better than the other. I, I am saying like I enjoyed The Avengers more, but I still love The Dark Knight Rises. I have problems with it like every person does, but I enjoy part of that trilogy. However, the thing is with The Avengers is it was not afraid to be a comic book movie. Uh-huh. And now some people say like that's like their big issue with the MCU, and that's fine to have that. But I think that's to put a button on with this review is that Having a movie out there that, like, it's been said elsewhere, like, there's ways of, like, taking it not serious enough, which we kind of, you could say that about Batman and Robin. It was, I feel like, like I said before, it's an insincere movie. Then there's times you could take the material possibly too seriously, and you could, you could have movies that, like, some people think BVS is far too grim and everything, which is, that is completely subjective. I am just looking for the middle ground. That's why I love the Avengers so much. Like, yes, it is very comic and it is very, it is very broad and it has like a lot of goofy humor in it. But it has heart. It has stakes. It has drama. It has tension. It has my favorite third act in any comic book movie, and it's the Battle of New York. And I think there's an opportunity. Like, and I think Batman and Batman Forever here knows what movie it is. It it does try and play it seriously, but it has fun with it, and I think that's why I enjoy this so much. I'm not saying Batman Forever is the same on the same level as the Avengers. I'm not saying that. I just think the filmmakers behind it and the people going into it knew what kind of movie they were going to make, and I think they succeeded at that. And it was obviously the movie's success. It made over three hundred million dollars in, in 1995. That's why they. Fast track Batman and Robin to the dismay of everybody who, who saw Batman and Robin afterwards. I apologize if Batman and Robin is your favorite Batman movie out there. I do, but <laughs> um, it just goes to show you what the people can have when they have the right mindset going into a comic book material. And I think that's why we've gravitated to it because I think it was obviously timing. That's why we enjoy this movie so much and. I, it was just they made the people behind it made an enjoyable film. So I'll ask you guys, what's your final thoughts on Batman Forever? I know we kind of jumped around and everything like that, but I think we're on our time crunch here in recording. So I apologize if we're cutting this short, but I'll ask you guys final thoughts on Batman Forever. You want to go? Oh yeah, I'll take it away first. Uh, you know, final thoughts on Batman Forever. Like Brennan said earlier, warts and all, flaws and all, issues and all. It's still a movie that I can turn on when I'm at work on hold or whatever, or I can turn on and just look at it, watch it, laugh at it, laugh with it. You know, I can still find some kind of personal enjoyment out of watching that movie, even despite the fact of its flaws, whatever you want to call them. Um, I still enjoy Val Kilmer to an extent as Batman. I still kind of maintain that he's got some great Batman moments, but he's a fantastic Bruce Wayne and, um, much like the cast, too. I, I, I enjoy the cast for what it is. You know, you, you get what you get. That's about as much as I have left to say about this. You get what you get. Don't throw a fit. <laughs> <laughs> Look, for me, it's it's just going to be, you know, um, building on what I said earlier in the episode, is that this is, without a shadow of a doubt, this is the movie of my childhood. When I think of being a kid... I think of 1995 and my excitement for this movie 
um, you know, getting all the, the, the McDonald's and, and toys and whatever else, the, the lead up to it. It was the first movie I can remember ever really being excited for and following the, the making of and the, the build up to release. And that's something that I enjoy about movies to this day. And this is where it all started for me. It's, yeah, it, I, warts and all, I know it's not a perfect movie, but I'm going to defend it till the day I die because it's just, it just holds such a special place in my heart. And, you know, it's Batman Forever. It's, it's a good time. Just, just don't take it too seriously. Just watch it and have fun with it because that's all I wanted you to do. Well spoken. Very nice. So I hope everybody's enjoyed our jumbled, rambling review of Batman Forever because we'd like to jump around and have a conversation. We're like House of Pain in that way. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was just saying, so like I, I saw an opportunity and I'm like, nope, I could avoid it. Like, nope, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna go for the easy joke there because that's my lowbrow sense of humor there. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, fellas, I want to say thank you for taking time out of your evening to talk about Batman Forever with me, or early morning, I should say, uh, for Brendan, because he's on the other side of the globe here. But um, if you want people to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Lowy007 on Twitter, so L-O-W-Y-007 on Twitter. Very nice. What about you, Phil? So you can find me at on Twitter as well. That's U-N-P-H-I-L-T-E-R-E-D-D-D, unfiltered. Usually just sitting there chatting about comic book movies and superheroes and other world musings. Um, I also, again, like I said earlier, I've got a show myself, uh, Superhero Stress. You can plug it into iTunes or SoundCloud. That's where it's available at right now. Like I said, I just did an episode with Jay Yaz regarding the news of Tom King and Ava DuVernay handling the new gods film so if you guys want to check that out by all means tim thank you again for having me on the show man it's been straight up blast oh of course um um all the technical things aside i think this is actually a really successful episode this is uh professor hulk here saying i think this is an absolute win um that's that's my uh, feelings towards this if you want to follow me on social media and follow me on twitter at, at twitter uh at timothy rooney 2 my instagram at tgrooney1012 my other podcast please rewind the rf 4rm retro show which is part of the real fans for real movies podcast network uh, where myself guy milks and jamie julie talk about movies when it comes to anniversaries and um, of course my youtube channel through lens productions where my short film jack 2 is up but there's gonna be i'm starting a new vlog series called film on film where i talk about me seeing movies on various forms on celluloid whether it be 16 millimeter 35 or 70 millimeter and the stories of how i got the chance to see these movies so keep an eye out for that you can find if you have a smartphone you can tap the description you'll find links to all the the links we just talked about description below uh fellas thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your day to talk about batman forever no worries anytime anytime anywhere my man it's been fun all right. Come back next time as you continue to talk about geek and pop culture, and we'll be speaking to you soon.